what I'd like to do is to look to Psalm 126. If you have a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it to you. If you're following online, after a little delay, you'll see it come up on your screen, I hope. Uh, you may wonder, why is the pastor, um, just short of 10 days or so before Christmas, in Psalm 126? Well, technically, this is uh, one of the lectionary readings for this Sunday. And at the close of the message today, I think I'll refer back to one of the gospel lectionary readings for today. But when I read it, you're going to say, what, that, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, stay with me. I hope uh, that you're able to see it. And I, I have to ask a housekeeping issue of my friend Eric. Eric, am I on the white? Am I on the white slide? The one that does the... I am. All right. Pardon me while I save myself a little bit of embarrassment because I don't think this is going to do what I want it to do. We're going to be in Psalm 126. There's only six verses there, and they go like this. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this morning and the message this hour. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
if I had to title this morning's message, it would be, We May Never Pass This Way Again. Now, I know that's a song from way back when. Probably could have been uh, uh, the theme for some high school proms back in the day, but that's not what I'm talking about when I say, We May Never Pass This Way Again. This week, I was thinking to myself, I will be so glad when this is over. Life needs to get back to normal, back to Thanksgiving, Christmas, and everything that has been so different this year. Schools have changed. Sports have changed. No musical events. Very little live entertainment you can see. Everything has been upended, and we long for normal. I look for the day when I can walk into a store with no mask, when the day when I can shake hands with you when you come to church, on the day when I can just breathe again normally, and all of you here know exactly. There's a, a song out there. I was arguing, not arguing, but discussing with Eric and Diana before I came out whether or not this song from back in 1980 is a Christmas song or a New Year's song. It's written by Dan Fogelberg. Some of you know it, and it's called Same Old Lang Syne. I'll just tell you the story if you don't know the song. Basically, this guy goes back home for Christmas, and on Christmas Eve, he meets his old girlfriend in a convenience store, and they go and have a chat amongst other things. But when they part, and she gets out of the car, she gives him a kiss. And the final line of that song is like this. Just for a moment, I was back at school and felt that old familiar pain. And as I turned to make my way back home, the snow turned into rain. I wondered when I listened to that song, what is that old familiar pain? Is that old familiar pain something from high school for this guy? Is that old familiar pain uh, that his girlfriend broke up with him and he didn't get the girl? What is the old familiar pain? The reason I bring that up this morning is I want you to understand as painful as things have been for the last nine, ten months since March, we may never pass this way again. In the passage this morning, Psalm 126, and I'm going to get into that verse by verse in a minute, I want you to know that the people of Israel had been in Babylonian exile for 70 years. Please get that. They were upended, taken from where they belonged. They were taken to a foreign place, and they were made about how things weren't normal for them, and they're not normal for us, and why things may never, never be the same again. Now, in this passage this morning, this Psalm 126, in the first verse it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. Now again, remember, 70 years have passed. Do you know what happens in 70 years? People die. People who went out in the exile died in the exile. People were born. There's new people who never knew the old way of life. When the time came, actually, and this is historically true, when the time came after 70 years that they could return back to their homeland, actually just a very small percentage, what we would call a remnant, actually did. Many went in a variety of different directions. It's 538 B.C. There's a new king of Persia who's going to enact some edicts that allows this to happen. 
And the, the return to Zion, the people began to that verse. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. That is when we got to go back. We were like those who dream. Get that for a minute. What he's saying is, it seemed like a dream. When we got to go back home, it seemed like it really wasn't real. So when Job was going through his difficulties, and I dragged Job into this because of that dream business, when he was going through his difficulties, he said something in Job 9.16. Get this. This is what Job said. If I summoned God and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. Do you know what Job's saying there? He's saying, I don't think he's going to hear me. And if he did, shot of verse 2. It says, Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now what I want you to see is as we're reading this psalm this morning, only a piece of the restoration is accomplished. Yeah, they've gotten to go back home, but it was going to get far better than that. To understand when it says the Lord has done great things for them, shouts of joy, laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy, to understand that. You've got to understand how bad things were. Now I'm going to read a different psalm to you, Psalm 42. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just pieces of it. But I want you to understand that this psalm is written when they are in exile. It'll be a familiar psalm to most of you. In Psalm 42, the first verse, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God for God, for the living God, when may I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Now I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts, glad shouts of songs and of praise, a multitude having a festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in terminal, in term, my salvation and my God? Now you could go on and read all the way through Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, and you get the picture of what I want you to see. This was not an easy time for them. They remembered how it was, but they couldn't have how it was. And now they're back in the promised land. They're back out of exile, and God has partially done what he said he would do. Look at the second half of this verse. Let's just read all of it. Psalm 126, 2. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. I want you to stop and see something, church. When it says it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The fact that they had left exile and gone back to the promised land was being noticed by those around them. And they were saying, not, not, not them, but the people watching, look what God is doing for them. You see, God, even in the midst of this turmoil, was revealing his awesome ability to do more than they could ever ask or think or believe. The psalmist says in the third verse, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. 
Church, I want you to understand that coming out of exile, going back into the promised land, and in a minute I'm going to describe that for you, why it's not fully accomplished, but just a partial revelation of what God was going to do for them. Why it is so important that we understand that they saw it as something to be glad about. God is amazing. He's working out their deliverance. The fact that they could go back home was precious to them. If you read this psalm, the first three verses, what you notice is, first it looks like they're in shock. I mean, we're, we're in a dream. This couldn't be real. But then when the dream wears off and they realize, they pinch themselves and they realize what God is really doing, their shock turns into joy. I want you to imagine for a minute, because we're here at Advent, and you know the story, I'm not going to read it to you, but over in Luke chapter 1, when Mary is told that she was going to have a baby, and you remember she's, she's told you'll have a son and you'll give him the name Jesus, and she says, how can this be, because I've not been with anybody, and, and the angel says, the, the, the Holy One will come upon you, he'll overshadow you, that which is born of you will be called the Son of God, and Mary sings a song that we've come to know as the Magnificat. Listen to the two things that she says. And in Luke, the 46th verse, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And in the 49th verse, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now I want to stop for a minute and have you realize how ridiculous that is. Mary has just said, I've never been with Joseph, and you're going to send me out to be pregnant before the world? And God says, Yeah. And that which is born of you will be called the Son of God. And Mary doesn't say, no, 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 for, for the sake of the shame. Mary says, the Lord has done great things for me. My soul will therefore magnify the Lord. As, as, as Israel comes back into the promised land and let free from exile, they only partially see what God is going to do. Mary was only told what was going to happen. It had not become yet real for her. So in the fourth verse... Look at what is said, Psalm 126, verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. I want you to stop for a minute and understand something here. What we've talked about so far is laughter, shouts of joy, happiness. These are all good things. They were coming back to Canaan land. You know, church, this past week, I'm in the church in the sanctuary. How many of you remember what the sanctuary looks like? And I don't want to give you the false, I don't want to give you the false impression that that is our future. I think, if anything, what this pandemic has taught us is that the church is not this building behind me. The church is the people in front of me. Please get that through your head and your heart. But I want you to hear this too. I am walking through the sanctuary this week and I look around. I just look around. The stained glass windows, the rose window, the organ. I'm looking around and I think to myself this thought. What will it be like when we get to go back in? Now understand me, that's not my end goal. Church, my end goal is to see this community out here know Jesus. My end goal is not to see you in that building. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> My end goal is to take Jesus that's in our heart to that community that's outside of our building. But understand, I'm walking through and I'm saying, what will that be like? Did you hear what 
the exiles did when they came back into the promised land. They laughed. They were happy. There were shouts of joy. But church, please hear me on this too. When they walked back into the promised land, they were not walking into a land that flowed with milk and honey. They were simply set free from the exile. They were simply set free from the bondage. They were walking into a land that had sat unfallowed, un unplowed, unfarmed, unused for 70 years. Have you ever seen what happens to land that is not kept for 70 years, particularly if you are a farming community? And so here in this fourth verse, when the prayer is, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Judah had been totally destroyed. They are not saying, Lord, we want to be high and mighty and rich and happy again. I don't think they ever were that. What they're saying when they say restore our fortunes, it is a prayer. And the prayer goes something like this. Dear God, we are back. And nothing is how it was before. But Lord, show us to love what it is now. And I want you to notice what the answer is going to be. Here in this fourth verse, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. This was a mostly dry place. But in this place, if you got an inch of rain, you could have a torrential river come ripping down through wherever you were. Because as that one inch of rain flowed off the hills, things were going to change. Anybody ever here been down in West Virginia? I mean down in West Virginia. Anybody? Well, we don't have a single soul that knows anything about West Virginia. You know, down in West Virginia, you get a little river. I, my grandmother, when we were growing up, she would talk about the, the Big Laurel. That was a river down in a little place called Hamlin, West Virginia. You always thought that the Big Laurel was like, you know, the Ohio River. It's like folks around here talk, around, talk about the Tuscarawas River. I grew up on the Ohio River. The Tuscarawas River is a stream. That's not a river. It, I'm not sure it qualifies to be a creek. 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 <laughs> the Big Laurel down in West Virginia, you'd go out to look at it. It wouldn't be as wide as this little block of blue here. But let a little rainfall. Let a little rainfall because then you couldn't get to your house. The river rises. The water flows. And when the psalmist says, Restore fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, what he is saying is, God, please unleash your blessings on us afresh and anew. Let us see what you can do in an amazing way. And in the fifth verse, look at what the psalmist says. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Church, this is God's answer to that prayer. Those 
who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The answer is, God is saying, you can count on me. But the work is going to be hard. The results are going to be uncertain. But you are going to have to walk by faith and by sight. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Can you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and verse 4? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What God is saying to Israel, to this prayer of the fourth verse, is you will sow your tears in hardship. You will work. You will labor. It isn't going to be that just out of poof nowhere, God is going to magically do what you ask him to do. Those tears that you sow in will one day become shouts of joy when I do what I'm going to do. And then look what happens next, the sixth verse. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. God is encouraging his people to be responsible. Get out there and sow. Pray that I do what I said I would do. Church, the other day, I, I can't remember where I went. These days, Janice and I are trying not to go very many places at all. But I had to go into a retail establishment. I cannot remember where it was. And as I went in there, they already had... Now, remember, we're at Christmas, right? We're not into January yet. They had a display of seeds out for, for gardens. You and I take that for granted, don't we? I mean, when the spring comes, we will go to the store if we want to grow peppers or tomatoes or whatever. We can either buy plants or we can buy seeds. We don't at all have the understanding of sowing seed with tears. It says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy. Can I help you to understand this for a minute? The seed that the sowers were sowing in the ground was an investment in their future. And it was everything they had. Everybody's sitting in the parking lot today for a minute. I want you to do this. I want you to take away your car for a minute and look at where you're at. Then I want you to take away your house for a minute and look at where you're at. I want you to keep the clothes on your back, maybe a cup, maybe a pot, and your entire life savings is contained in a bag that has seed in it. And you are about to take that because God said to do it and put it into the ground and trust that the heat's going to be right, the temperature's going to be right, the humidity's going to be right, the rain is going to be right, that everything's going to be okay. Because if it isn't, everything you've ever worked for is gone. And God says, as you go out weeping, bearing your seed, know this. 
you will come home with shouts of joy, bringing your sheaves with you. God's telling them to live. Listen, church, listen close. God is telling them to live in the assurance that he will come through for them one more time, no matter what. But they have to live into it. They have to trust him for it. They have to believe him for it. And that brings me to my bottom line, church. Experience builds assurance, but anticipation builds faith. Stay with me on this. You know, just, just two weeks tomorrow, I went back and had a surgery on my left knee. Fourteen years ago, I had that exact same surgery and it almost killed me. <laughs> but here's what I want you to know. I came through that. And the reason I came through that is because God is so good that I can trust him. As we were getting ready for the surgery two weeks ago, Janice looked at me and said, Are you worried about this? No, I'm not worried about this. God's got this. Church, how many times in your life have you experienced the hand of God in your life in such a way that he came through for you? Whether he carried you through a difficult marriage, carried you through a time of financial loss, carried you through a time of terrible sickness and near death, carried you through a, a, a child that needed extra attention, carried you through whatever it was, how many times has God come through for you? And that should build your assurance that what he's going to do next, what we're waiting for, what we're looking for, is something we can count on him for. That's a thing called faith. You know, Matthew and Luke have wonderful nativities, but don't you love how John brings his nativity to bear? John's nativity goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Right? I mean, that's John's nativity. He doesn't say there's shepherds and angels and wise men and a and a manger or anything. He just simply says, in the beginning we had God, and he had a son called the Word, and that Word was with him, and that Word was God. And then he starts to spill out about how that, that light came into the world. That Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It was the light. But, but down at John 1, about the sixth verse, John just abruptly stops to talk about John the Baptist. And he says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear witness about the light that we all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then in about the 16th verse, he picks it up again. All the people are out being baptized. And John starts preaching. And he says to them this, listen close, I'm headed somewhere with this thought. John says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. But there comes one after me, whose shoes I can't bend down and tie. He shall baptize you with fire and with the Spirit of God. 
Now, why do I bring that to bear right here, church? Because John, the cousin of Jesus, he says, I'm not the Messiah, but there's one that's going to come. Don't bow down to me and don't think you're baptized to be a disciple of mine because the one that I'm proclaiming, the, for, the one that I am the forerunner to, the one that I am trailblazing the path for, the one that I am laying the foundation for, you may think that it's something, this message that I have for you, that you need to repent. You may have never heard it this way before, but you just wait till he gets here. And all the people... Build up anticipation in someone they'd never met, never seen, never knew. They didn't even have his name at this point. But John says, just wait until you see this. Church, we're in a day of anticipation. We're anticipating, all some of us, all we want to anticipate is back in a building. But there's something far more important we need to wait on. And that is the Lord. Not that he gets back in, not that we get back into the building, but that he gets back into us. Christmas is a wonderful time to celebrate that Jesus came to earth. But church, it's also a wonderful time to anticipate that he is going to come into us in a new way. That he's going to visit us afresh and anew. That we'll be revived, that we'll be renewed. And what he's done before, he can do again. What he's done in the past, he can do in the future. And we can hardly wait to see what he's going to do next. The children of Israel wandered back into the promised land and it was not at all what they'd hoped for. The ground was hard. Their tears were real. The seed was theirs. It was being sown in the ground. And God said, trust me. Church, let me tell you something. You can trust Jesus. Sow that seed. Plant that word. Pray in faith. And wait on him. Because he's going to do so much more than what we could ever ask or think or anticipate that he could. There's no other name given amongst men under heaven by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus.